The Talking Cure, Conversations with Jet Wheeler, is presented by the Office of Arts and Cultural Programming and Peak Performances at Montclair State University. Hi, um, I'm here with Augusta Reed Thomas, um, composer, um, her own impresario, actually. She's not merely a composer. She's a wunderkind. And um, Gusti, um, I'm permitted to say Gusti, um, is the composer of a new work um, created for the Martha Graham Company um, with uh, Troy Schumacher. Troy is the uh, choreographer, and the title of the work is The Auditions. Um, Montclair State University Peak Performances commissioned both the composition as well as the choreography. And in November, uh, the Martha Graham Company will perform this work for, as a world premiere, coupled with a wondrous performance of Appalachian Spring, uh, which commemorates its 75th anniversary. Um, and there's a lot to discuss around that in relationship to the auditions. And essentially, one of the things that makes this a special relationship is that um, when um, I approached the Martha Graham Company about creating a work to commemorate um, the 75th anniversary of Appalachian Spring, um, I uh, said that I wished very much to um, find a composer before we determined who the choreographer would be, which is, um, in this day and age, that's a little different. Um, it's not so much different from what the way um, Martha Graham and Aaron Copeland approached their collaborative relationship. Um, but in this case, um, I wanted to find um, an inspired individual to create a work that um, echoed and um, enhanced in its own way um, the amazing masterwork called Appalachian Spring. So, um, so Gusty, why you? Why now? What's up? And what's in store for us? Well, thank you, Jed. I am beyond thrilled that you commissioned this piece from me. And I consider it to be a very important moment in my creative life to be able to make this particular piece with Troy Schumacher, with Martha Graham Dance, at Montclair State University, with Peak Performances, with you, and the whole team, lights, costumes, sets, and everybody else. I've been writing music since I was a very little girl. And I've always embodied my music. I literally move to it. I count it. I can feel it. I'm like moving my arms, dancing, not dancing literally, but you know, jumping around my apartment, feeling the rhythmic syntax, feeling the syncopations. 
And that sense of embodied sound is so true to everything I've done for 40 years that the opportunity to work with dancers at this level is something that hits me at the very deepest core of my stomach and of my creative practice. So, given that you are obviously a natural mover, um, what delights you the most about collaborating with Troy Schumacher, who's a brilliant modern classicist? Troy and I have had a fabulous collaboration. We met in person, we met by Skype, we met several times in New York, and went back and forth with ideas. I was composing music and sending it to him for comment and considering this and that and giving him options and discussing the potential of a certain idea and so forth. And I feel that we have a simpatico understanding of what it is that we're building and a deep mutual respect. And I feel that we've both, uh, I feel that if one and one equals two, it's not enough. <laughs> For instance, if you have a choreographer and a composer and it really is working well, it should be a three, not just a two. And I don't know if that made any sense. Forget it made that. perfectly good sense because ironically, the, uh, I've heard the artistic director, Janet Eilber, talk about this piece as one plus one equals three. Is that right? See, I didn't know that at all. <laughs> but I, I do believe that there's some kind of magic. And it's so interesting when you as a producer put people together and think about who might be working together. Sometimes it really works and everything clicks. Other times it's like oil and vinegar. Sometimes people are on really different artistic wavelengths or have different sets of priorities. And in this particular case, I feel like it was a very, very beautiful pairing. And we've had a terrific time I feel that we've both been able to excel at what we do and to find new things together. And the piece is so beautifully choreographed. I love it. I love it. And I am very critical. So believe me, I would tell Troy, I don't like that one little thing. Or how come that dancer's doing that when the music's doing this? Or there's a huge downbeat here and nobody's doing anything or whatever it might be. Believe me, I would speak up because the music is very sculpted, very, very carefully uh, paced and nuanced and full of uh, inner life of different kinds. And I feel that we just totally understand each other and each other's work. The, uh, for instance, the end of the piece, I just saw it in rehearsal, is so gorgeous. And I, I wrote it, you know, like I wrote the music, but it's even, it's just so good what he has done with it. And I can tell that the dancers are completely committed and dancing with such flair. Uh, I, I also love the fact that Troy's choreography gets to the fundamental elements of those things that are in my music important. For instance, counterpoint, harmony, juxtaposition, 
you know, Stravinsky-like jazzy rhythms and then floating melodies or whatever it might be, the, the actual materials of the sound of the piece and how those are being constructed and built together in a musical labyrinth where all of the different parameters of the music are working together. It would be so uh, uncomfortable for me if the people moving to this or choreographing to it didn't have a simpatico toward those elements. And well, be- I mean, that. let's talk a little bit about the music in that context. Well, one of the fascinating aspects of, of, of commissioning something, in, 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 which I've done a fair amount of, um, I'm, I'm, re- I'm never disappointed, no matter how difficult the process is, because discovery and invention and is not meant to be easy anyway, and um, you know there may be difficulties along the way. This this relationship between uh, choreographer and um, composer seems to be um, fits fits into my ideal lifestyle of blissful serendipity. <laughs> Ooh, it's working, <laughs> but. That said, when we started our conversations uh, a while a while back, um, we did discuss um, musical instrumentation, and one of the elements was that uh, in my discussions with um, the Martha Graham companies that they would do, I wanted them to do Appalachian Spring, and one of the general caveats in our conversation was that um, the instrumentation for which is now called the auditions would embrace the instrumentation of the original Appalachian Spring, which was a, a, a chamber work, not a full orchestral work. Um, how did that proposition strike you? I think the idea of commemorating Appalachian Spring on its 75th year is fabulous. And to do it with the methods that Martha Graham used, working with an active, in, in, in Copeland's case, American composer, and making a brand new piece, and working with live music, is just such a beautiful tribute to what she made and her legacy and these dancers and to the whole universe of the dance world and the music world. I think it was such a a sort of stroke of genius to think of doing that. And the original instrumentation for Appalachian Spring is 13 instruments. And when one hears 13 instruments playing for half an hour, the ear gets very used to them. One of the opportunities that you allowed for me to do of bringing in slightly different instrumentation, I was so happy about that. So, for instance, in the auditions, there are two percussionists and a saxophone instead of a bassoon mm-hmm. and a, a trombone. So that just in the course of the evening, when one comes to Montclair State University to peak performances to hear it, you're not hearing just the exact same sound palette for the whole evening. Mm-hmm. When the trombone comes in or when the cowbell comes in and so on, it's very startling. And because I knew it was being paired with Appalachian Spring, 
the quote-unquote new instruments that I have added to the mix get very prominent solo parts in a way a, a fresh new sound that we haven't heard for the past half hour and that kind of energy yet on the other hand this piece can easily tour with Appalachian Spring absolutely I mean it's right in the pocket the same general instrumentation of strings and piano it's just a few woodwinds that got changed so I think it, it sort of works both ways. Well, when when you were and with with Troy by your side, when you were imagining what this piece would be, how much of the Appalachian Spring history came into your dialogue? Um, it was a it was written in 1944. Um, and it was um, it referenced uh, both directly and indirectly the issues of World War II, of loss, of of hope, of desperation, of um, expectation for the future. Um, some of that actually may have been uh, obscured over the seventy-five years because. The audiences have changed. The people have changed. The um, resolve um, of the of the forties has blossomed into the optimism of the fifties, and then went into the chaos of the sixties. I'm not going to get into a history lesson, but um, where does the auditions fit in that context? One of the things I admire greatly about Appalachian Spring is that I can feel the honesty in it. That's what needed to be made at that time for those artists, and that's what needed to be said. And when we look at civilization, we look back at like what the artists left us. Mm -hmm. In some way, you can say the history of civilization is written in art. We look at the great statues or the great museums. What are the artists saying? And one thing I love about Appalachian Spring is it's just, it's of its time. And re-watching it and watching some private Graham videos that I was allowed to see from the archive, one has the sense of a, of a, a truth and something of its time. And these themes of uh, renewal or change and strife and suffering and finding new vistas. Uh, these are in some ways timeless. So yes, they apply to Appalachian Spring and in fact they apply to the auditions, but they apply to a lot of things. So I think one thing I would say about the auditions is that it's very, very honest. It's of its time, just like Appalachian Spring was and we can still feel that now. I I like that one could say, well, what are you saying in this piece? What are you and Troy actually saying? And I can answer that to some extent, but I also think one of the most beautiful things about art is that it doesn't have to always give all the answers. It doesn't have to be so literal. And one of the things I love about Martha Graham and Appalachian Spring is the kind of sketch-like nature. For instance, when you think of the Noguchi sets, 
You know, you will just have like one piece of wood is like a fence. You know, it's just implying something. You don't have to be so literal about it. Or what are the emotions involved in a scene? One can extrapolate these human emotions without needing to have it be bogged down in heavy sets or explanations. There's a humanity that bubbles up out of it. And I think that the auditions picks up on that sense of, for lack of a better word, abstraction and trusting that the humanity and the story really comes through right off the stage. Well, one, of the, one aspect of what um, Peak Performances uh, sets out to do um, with its audience is to encourage them to tell their own individual and collective stories uh, based on how they respond to what the artist is showing um, is um, stimulating, you know, what they hear, what they see. Um, peak performances is a very non-narrative um, series of performances, uh, but by the same token, it, it respects and wishes that each member of the audience have a story to tell. And and I believe that anyone who comes and watches the auditions will know what story is being told. It's so beautifully danced. It's so clean and crisp in terms of the way it's choreographed and the music is very clear. You know, there are certain mm. kinds of music and you know where you are when you're in that kind of music. It's very etched and clean so that there's no confusion. What is going on here? This sounds like a mess. I don't know what's going on. It's not like that at all. I mean, you really can say, oh, now we're in this particular space. And the dance is completely uh, synchronized and evolving, synchronized and evoking all of those same kind of emotions, for lack of a better word, that the music is putting out. Well, music and dance are natural uh, partners. I mean, it's the way things should go. But on the other hand, we've had uh, choreographers who don't use music at all. Um, in your case, am I right? This is the first composition for dance? Or am I... I did another I, Did piece. I misunderstand? Yeah, I did a piece about 20 years ago for the Ordway in uh, the Twin Cities, which was Paul, com yeah. commissioned by James Sewell Dance, and it was a big production, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved everything about it, and uh, this was tw at least 20 years ago, and I'm like, okay, that's for me. That's, mm -hmm. that's the world I want to live in. And then some people have danced to other works that I wrote, and I consider actually every work I ever wrote in my entire life to be for dance, because it's just the way I think, it's the way I embody it, it's the way I feel it, and it's the way I sing it and the way I experience it and make it. So in a way, the whole thing just makes such deep sense to me. So the next piece that you create will be a, a song cycle for dance with you singing? Maybe. But I do, I do think, you know, really all kinds of pieces. I just did a piece um, which has a vocalese, and I, I was coaching it at Curtis Institute, where mm -hmm. I was their composer in residence, and 
I they were like looking at me and I, I realized I was actually dancing the piece but without even meaning to but just trying to show and then do this and then do that and I was thinking right then and there I thought oh somebody should dance to that piece because it, it just feels natural to me one of the things can I just switch the subject slightly one of the things that's interesting to me uh I like music that's colorful and evocative and clean and precise and sculpted. And also music that has a sense of playfulness and even a sense of humor, which is very, very hard to do in art. It's much easier to do something tragic and dark and the tam-tams are scraping away or whatever. But to actually have something that's light and uh, sort of dancing on its feet musically and quick imagination and ideas colliding in ways that are unexpected where you you sort of taken by surprise and then the minute the thing comes in it seems inevitable like oh I, oh yeah oh that was good oh wait another thing a little bit in the way that a jazz soloist might be playing a solo and you don't know where they're going to go on the next set of changes but when, the, when they go there it's like oh yeah yeah oh that was oh yeah 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 <laughs> uh, I, I really feel like my music has all of that in it because I'm very spontaneous about how I compose and I, I feel that every composition I ever made in my entire life is what I would call a captured improvisation meaning that I'm myself playing the piano, mm, I'm dancing, that's interesting. Mm. I'm singing, yeah. I'm, I'm like capturing my own improv. And then, of course, the scores are wildly nuanced, you know, very, very detailed. I don't want to give the impression that my scores say improvise over there. It's not like that at all. But they were born out of my life as an improviser, and then I sculpt them. In any case, with the auditions, you can definitively feel that as you hear the piece and watch the dance, but there's also a sense of humor. It's, it's witty in certain places. I mean, uh, there's one character that's a whole bunch of cowbells. I mean, that's kind of like crazy. Who should write like a solo part for cowbells that permeates a ballet? I mean, anyone would should tell you, you don't do that. They, you know, that's not what happens. And then I was like, Yes, that's exactly what happens. And, you know, exactly how it's sculpted and how the rhythms work and how the pitches are working. It, it, it sounds, um, it's, it's tailored. It's very tailored. But it's also kind of joyous in a way. And I like that art can bring that to the table. And it, it takes, at least in my case, it takes a lot of technical skill. Because you don't want to be kitsch and you don't want to be dopey and you don't, you know, it has to be kind of in the fundamental fabric of the entire musical idea whereby there is something that's all of a sudden uh, playful in a, or capricious or well, whimsical. I, I would, I would, I like the word playful in, in this context, um, although it's very, very, it's a, a deep metaphor that the that you and Troy have created. Um, the word that I came up come up with when I when I first heard the score and watched the dances was delight. Um, and 
it's a, the score itself is extremely complicated. It's a complex score, but it's not a uh, score that is impermeable. Um, and in fact, um, it brings out one's sense of delight. And it's a, so in that sense, you have uh, different la- different levels of experience. And um, if in watching the dancers and Troy work with the score, um, I don't believe that they would be getting to the level of uh, excellence that they've achieved were the score not fundamentally being received by each of them as something that was personally delightful, you know, that it was a very positive experience. They may, they were, I, their exploration of what the music was doing to them physically empowered them to be happy. Um, that's, you know, and Troy and his team you know, worked very closely with the intricacies of the score, but the dancers have absorbed the music and manifested in a very, as you point out correctly, a very joyful way. It's so interesting also because I note that they all have it memorized because when he was calling cues, they're like walking out on stage singing the musical bit where their thing is about to start. Yeah. And I was watching this on the videos, too. And Troy also has the piece memorized. And one of the things I was thinking about in writing all music, but in particular, when you have an entire group of people that are going to spend an entire month workshopping a piece, the piece has to be worthy of that many hearings. I mean, it has to be rich enough and creative enough and inventive enough and fresh enough because otherwise, after two days of rehearsal, everybody's like, okay, take it from letter B, blah, 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 blah. Oh, when are we going to... That's too long. Oh, wait, how are we going to get to letter C? Oh, let's skip this for today. You know, rather, I would rather give them something where it's... it's my piece is a little bit like Stravinsky crossed with bebop, crossed with some otherworldly Debussy and Ravel velvet world or something. I don't know. It's hard to describe. But there's nothing in it that wasn't done 100 years ago by Stravinsky. It's just done in a fresh way. And I mm-hmm. think that it gives them something to work on. And, I, for example, I love the way they're counting it. So Troy and I, when we met in his apartment, we were counting through it, and he had prepared all the counts. And, of course, I count it slightly differently because I wrote it, but it's just so fascinating, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one. Three, you know, like exactly so that the 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 up note and the accented note and the triplets, you know, it's all like super synchronized. And his counts are fairly small. I mean, we don't you don't count out to forty six and then change. I mean, they're all within eights and tens and sixes, and so it's very it's very very interesting uh, to have a piece of music where 
you can really like feel the count and you can feel the accent and that that kind of thing but have enough to sustain the interest and to make enough reason for different kind of physical motions well i think one of the th- what you're talking about is something i i don't believe uh, lots of people actually know is the the deep level of research both personal and intellectual that a dancer must provide in order to realize the work that they're creating with the composer and the choreographer. I mean, they're at this particular point, I mean, um, their virtuosity is coming into play as they move towards the realization of the piece. Um, And that's, you know, that's a process that 95% of the public never experiences. And where they will be in November will be at a point where all of that preparation, the deep analysis, the counting, will be released. And they will be... um, a helium balloon, you know, the the abandon, the openness, the floating, you know, will occur, you know. But you don't get there by imposing that. That's uh, really the talent of this company of dancers is 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 their deep professional ability. Um, to work through the meaning of the music and the meaning of the movement that the choreographer has created. I mean, this is this is the Martha Graham Company. These are the best dancers in modern performance today, um, and you can you'll see that in the auditions. You see that in Appalachian Spring. Um, it's it's a gift. It's a huge gift. And I completely agree with every word you said. These are just sublime, world-class dancers. And one of the things that I love about the auditions is that we get to see all of them. They all have solos. They all have little duets. They all are featured. Then they're in ensemble. Then they're, you know, it, it just really shows them off the way it's choreographed. It's not that there's one person who gets all the solos and everybody else is, quote, unquote, the company. It's uh, very vibrant and quick-changing, and Mm -hmm. you really sort of follow one dancer for a second, and then they pair off with another, and then they go into this trio and then back and forth. I think it's just so interesting the way they are able to move on a dime and sync up in the right way and do it with such grace and elegance and enormous beauty and poise and accuracy. Right now, they're rehearsing using... Is it an is it a MIDI recording or is it an MV whatever got sent via Dropbox? I don't. I'm not sure what they're using right now, but essentially what they're listening to at whatever resolution they're listening to the computer playing the music, which is really not ideal except for the fact that all the tempos are right and all the pitches are right and all the rhythms are right it's very accurate and that's quite helpful for a piece like this that is rhythmic where you really are counting you need to really know when your next note is there and that it is there so 
I think it's been a Troy has found it to be a very useful tool. Well, I got I've gotten myself into trouble. I get myself into trouble all the time, so it's you know here, neither here nor there. But um, so I have to be very careful about how I phrase this. But um, one of the delights of the auditions and one of the delights of Appalachian Spring is that each is a musical composition worthy of a good listen. Um, and that, you know, in this case, uh, we're, I'm bringing in the International Contemporary Ensemble, which is, in my estimation, uh, one of the finest contemporary music ensembles in the world, uh, but, but certainly the premier ensemble of its kind in our country. I embrace everybody else equally and encourage everybody, but to have ICE perform the premiere of auditions is my dream for music. I mean, you have assembled, in my opinion, the dream team. The Martha Graham Dance Company, Troy Schumacher, the Ice Ensemble. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The theater, it, it's really, uh, this. all of the, what is that called? Where all the powder it just works together well. Uh, what is that? Like the chemistry. The chemistry, the alchemy of magic. Yeah, there's. You know, you We're put, in the magic business. Yeah, you're in the business of magic, and I I feel like you you really put together the dream team, and 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 everybody's very very committed, and also very mutually respectful, and I think that everybody's bringing their A plus game. I, you can feel it absolutely, even no. like backstage, like just somebody stretching. There, you can just like everybody's totally invested, and that's so beautiful. And it also a big project like this. You know, it's born over year. It, it took me a year to write it. It took Troy half a year to count it. And, you know, <laughs> now the dancers are doing months of work, and they'll have to keep it in their bodies, and then the show. I mean, it's it's literally so many months of human time and to get all of those fabulous artists all working at that level for that long together and everybody's fully mm. invested is really magic well I think that um, the sort of stray into the political no one should ever doubt the um, veracity and creative abilities of American artists um, at this time in our history. We live in an age, a uh, cornucopia of creative abilities. Um, and uh, one of the things that Peak likes to do, Peak Performances and Montclair State University, is to give artists such as yourself and the Martha Graham Company, Troy, musicians, um, the um, moment of realization um, of who they are and how they fit into uh, our social fabric and how important they are to uh, our national character. That uh, in times of um, distress, 
Um, as a, I personally feel that we're in a very difficult time. Um, that the way to counter that is to create art and to create art at the highest possible level without compromise. And I feel that uh, I know that uh, you uh, received that invitation and exceeded the invitation well beyond anything I had expected to hear. And Troy um, has done the same with his choreography. Another aspect of the peak performance's agenda, you know, is to challenge um, artists, but in a constructive way of saying, we have, you will now have the tools to make the work that's important to you and to do it in the way that satisfies your inner life. That's the, and I'm very grateful to you for accepting this uh, commission, this invitation, and I'm wildly excited to have you here. Well, I'm very grateful to you and to everybody. It's really very, very beautiful, as you were talking about, being able to make it excellent at every level. For instance, spending half an hour on one lighting cue, but then it's right, and then it's magical, and it's important. And that's a huge luxury. It's not being slapped together, okay, throw the scrim down, throw the scrim up. No, I mean, there's plenty of tech time to work these things out. I think it's um, very, very meaningful because one, because when we are able to as it were, polish a piece right down to all of its perfection with all of those 50 people working on it or however many people there are, 40, 50, 20, even five people, whatever the number is, it, it can then sparkle, whichever piece it is by whichever artist. And so often that's not possible for time limitations or people are living in other parts of the world and you come together for five seconds and throw up a piece of art. It's, it's not... Um, meaningful well we have a I mean uh, unfortunately there's a, um, a predisposition in certainly in the United States to marginalize um, truly creative work um, and it gets marginalized by the absence of enough time to really realize it I mean um, if you look into if you look at uh, the visual arts world uh, a painter is not given a time frame in which to create a painting. They, you know, a, a sculpture works on the sculpture. It may take three years, but that's in the rhythm of that individual's creative life. The um, performance community, unfortunately, um, given all the different elements that have to come into play, not the least of which is finance, um, don't often have that opportunity. And um, in this context of uh, a vital academic community, which is Montclair State University, with a visionary president, when Susan Cole, um, we're able to do that. 
Um, but um, I take issue with the word luxury because, to me, it's a necessity. I agree. It's totally a necessity. You know, it's just rare. It's rare, but we're hoping others are paying attention <laughs> and realize, you know, what you know. That, I mean, living in a time of vitality in which the messages, the messengers, are the artists, and the artists are able to uh, express themselves with with such clarity and um, beauty. Um, it's it's just necessary for us to support that those artists. The artists are the future. Well, thank you for supporting me. You're welcome.